Hi, this is Roy Jones with Man Talk Radio Podcast. Our mission is to break down the walls of race and denomination. Your chosen Truth Radio broadcast will be starting in just a few seconds. Thank you. This is the Truth Network. Have you thought about your loved ones and their financial security if the unexpected happens? Plan for the future with PRCUA Life. Since 1873, the Polish-Roman Catholic Union of America has been ensuring life and protecting its members, helping craft robust retirement plans. Join PRCUA Life today and take advantage of affordable life insurance plans, competitive annuity rates, and additional member benefits. You can even lower your income tax bill and boost your retirement income by opening a new PRCUA Life annuity or transferring your existing account. Earn up to 3.75 APY with a one-year guarantee and $500 minimum deposit. Visit PRCUA.org or call your local PRCUA representative at 336-776-7456. PRCUA Life, protecting life through all its stages. Welcome to If Not For God, stories of hopelessness that turn to hope. Here is your host, Mike Zwick. If not for God with Mike Zwick, today we have an exciting show. We actually have a guy named Cameron Horner, and he's in my neck of the woods out of Burlington, North Carolina at 18 years old. Cameron Horner experienced a life-changing injury while on family vacation, and when he dove into shallow water, breaking his neck and leaving him with a spinal cord injury and paralyzed him from the chest down. God graciously saved Cameron from dying by giving him more air than normal while underwater so that his friend could find him in time. After this injury, Cameron went to Atlanta, Georgia to begin a four-month stay at a rehabilitation hospital where he underwent intense therapy to learn to live life again. The Lord had prepared Cameron and his family to go through this intense journey and was with them every step of the way since this injury. Cameron has traveled to various places, including overseas, to share his story of God's grace. He teaches at various locations and leads small groups when not speaking. Cameron operates through his nonprofit ministry, Cameron Horner Ministries. And today we're actually going to be discussing Revelation chapter 13. And if we, as we pull this up, Cameron has actually been studying this week, and we actually had Cameron to my Bible study yeah, this past right. weekend. That was a, was a <laughs> sweet experience being with you guys there. Yeah. But Revelation 13, I'm going to be looking at the New King James Version, starting in verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority con- to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. 
And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he makes, he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth and the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many as who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And Cameron, as we talk about this and as I read this, you know, it's one of the things that I think all Christians can can agree on. And if you look at Revelation 13 and the mark of the beast, I really haven't heard any different theories on this. All Christians say the same thing. No, that's not true. There's a lot of different. There's a lot of different. I was like, very, it's probably the most divisive topic that there is out there. Well, when we come to the mark of the beast, I think you're right. There, there is some agreement, um, and I think we can all agree on what is said in the next chapter, which is that if you take the mark of the beast, then you you are doomed to e- eternal judgment. I mean, that's that's clear. And so, what is what's happened over time is people have said. Well, if that's the case, then I, I certainly don't want to take the mark. And I think what's what's occurred is there's been a lot of fear and confusion. And I almost think, and, and you can correct me if if I'm wrong based on your experience, but I, I almost think that there's a sense that, oh, man, could I accidentally take the mark and not know it? And I think because of that fear, when I come to this topic, I want to, I feel led to dispel some of that fear and concern because when we come to the mark, this isn't a matter of just there's something out there that if I accidentally take, when I stand before God, he's going to send me to hell because I accidentally took this thing. Right. Um, so if you're out there and, and you're wondering about this, what's the mark? Did I accidentally take it? And I don't know. I just, I want you to breathe a sigh of relief that that's not how God operates um, mm-hmm. and certainly not in this situation. So when we come to the mark, there, there's, there's, a lot of background information that helps us understand it. And really the whole book of Revelation is that way. The book of Revelation, it assumes when John writes this and receives the revelation from the Lord, it assumes that you are very well versed in the Old Testament. And so when we come to something like the Mark of the Beast, we need to find, okay, what is the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible roots behind this Mark that would help us understand what's actually happening here? As a matter of fact, in Matthew 24, 24, it says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And so when I, when I look at this, I'm thinking, man, we really have to pay attention. We really have to pay attention. Yeah, and it's funny you bring that verse up because I think what we're seeing in chapter 13 of Revelation is the outplay of that very thing. And and in fact, that'll actually help us understand what the mark is and what it really can't be. Because I'll get to this in my notes, but in Revelation 13, you have two beasts. And the second one seems to be what we would maybe call a false prophet. And it's actually the false prophet 
that um, it, it's it's interesting. In verse 11, it says, there's another beast that comes out of the earth, and he has two horns like a lamb. So you have the appearance of a lamb, but mm-hmm. speaks like a dragon. Yeah. And so we're like, well, who's the lamb? Yeah. Well, the lamb is generally is Christ, but now we have someone who looks like a lamb, but is speaking like a dragon, I'm seeing a false Christ, a false prophet okay. type figure. Okay. And so it's interesting that you went to that verse. I, I, that's probably the Holy Spirit um, because it's actually this false prophet that institutes the the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. So, And I want to get to that, but if we could, Mike, I, I don't know what you want to do, but I, I would love to lay out some of the Old Testament background for the mark of the beast. Um, Go for it. So I, I'm big into getting into what would a first century Jewish person have heard when they heard these texts? Because these these originally texts, they were written to Jews by Jews, primarily for Jews. And so these are people that grew up in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And so they, they're they like, I hear people, some people call them, they're like Bible, Bible ninjas. They, they know yeah. the text very well. Yeah. And so when we, when we come to the New Testament, the, the apostles are basically assuming that. And some of the, the later divisions and misunderstandings that occurred was when Gentiles came in who just didn't know the Hebrew Bible very well. And um, so... Basically, academic studies right now, which I'm I'm big into that stuff, is for the past, really, the 20th century and 21st century has been, let's try and understand the ancient context better. And I think we need to do that when we come to this, because as a first century Jew, I'm going to read um, the Revelation and I'm going to hear things that us in 21st century wouldn't. So with that background laid out, the first place that I would want to go is actually to Exodus okay. uh, chapter 28. And you're like, well, what does Exodus have to do with the Mark of the Beast? Right, right. Well, in Exodus, we're given some of the, well, in this section, God is giving Moses basically the layout of how you're going to construct the tabernacle. So okay. Israel as a nation, they've just been freed from Egypt as slaves. And now they're, they're in the wilderness and God is giving them, hey, I want to dwell in your presence. I want to dwell in your midst but I need a place for my glory to dwell, and that place is going to be the tabernacle. And okay. so in this portion of Exodus, God is explaining to them, here's how I want you to build the tabernacle, but also in this section, here's how I want your priests, who are going to be the mediators between God and man, here's how I want your priests to dress. Mm-hmm. And, and here's where we find the first place where we kind of get an illusion of what, or really what John is alluding to in the Revelation. Okay. So... Part of the dress of the high priest was um, something that actually in, in uh, Revelation 29, the next chapter over, it's actually also called a, a crown, but it's something that the priest would wear on their head. And so a description of that uh, we find in, again, Exodus 28, 36 through 38. And what I want the audience to do, you can jump there for sure, but focus on this text as relates to something that would go on the forehead. So we're okay. going to read that. And this is what the right. priest is going to wear. When he goes into the temple. So starting in verse 36, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engraving of the seal. So this this plate is going to have this engraving engraved on it, holy to the Lord. The Hebrew uh, construct there could also say belonging to the Lord. You shall fasten it on a blue cord and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban and it shall be on Aaron's forehead. Okay. So basically Aaron, being the first of the high priests, and then the rest of the priests would do this after him, Aaron is going to be wearing a crown when he goes into the presence of the Lord, and on his forehead it's going to say, holy to the Lord or belonging to the Lord. So this is an issue of being wholly devoted to God. 
It's an issue of devotion. So this is the first place we pick it up, and um, there's other places, and, and we could move on from there to those next places. But I just want to pause if you have any any thoughts or well, you just want to keep I, going. Well, we did, did want to say something. Okay. Um, if you're thinking of buying or selling your home or you want to invest in real estate, then call Angela Pierce, a realtor with Next Home, the ideal group at 919-612-3363. Angela works in the triangle and surrounding areas and is ready to help with all of your real estate needs. Let Angela help you find your next home. I did want to say something about that. You know, what I hear you saying is we we need to read the Bible, but we also need to look to the Old Testament because what you're saying is, is there's clues in the Old Testament. Yeah, very much so. Not only clues, the book of Revelation has... I forget the number, but it's in the hundreds of, of references back to the Old Testament. And, you know, there's only so many verses in Revelation, so to have that many references, it just assumes you know the text of the Old Testament. And so okay. we have to do our homework, right? Okay. So the first place, again, just to recap, that we looked at is the priests are going to wear on their forehead something that says, belonging to Yahweh, belonging to the Lord. Okay. Okay. So the next place we... we catch this is in a section of text that's commonly called the Shema, which is a, it'd be like the most important text to a Jewish audience in ancient times, but even today. And it's very familiar. It's hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. In fact, when Jesus is asked, what's the most important command? He points to the Shema and to another text in Leviticus 19. Um, But the Shema is very important. And in the Shema, basically Israel is told, we can go and read it, but I I just pulled one section out for brevity. Israel is told, pass the commands of God down to your children. Teach it when you go along the way, things of this nature. But in reference to the commands of God, in the Shema, they are told this. And so Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, you shall bind them, the commands of God, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. The commands of God are to be bound on your hand and on your forehead. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, so, yep. So, in this act, uh, the Israelites, it's as if the Israelite is doing what the priest is doing in the temple, namely having their allegiance to Yahweh written on their forehead and on their hand. They're saying belonging to Yahweh. So, just as the priest, who's really, the priest is like, uh, an emblem of all of Israel going before the presence of God, because he's even got like the the names of the tribes written on him. He's going in the presence of God. And now the rest of Israel is to almost have a priestly state where I am saying of myself by this act of putting this on my forehead or on my hand, I am wholly devoted to Yahweh. Yeah. Another background text that we could look at, actually before I even get to that, what we're getting a picture of is, that's starting to develop, is a, a picture of allegiance where I am saying, I belong to this one. Right. This is my God that yeah. I belong to. Yeah. So, and you and I had talked about this a little bit before with the whole Revelation 13, Revelation 14 and and going even back to Matthew 24 mm-hmm. and and other texts as well where you hear a lot of people saying, "Well, we're going to be gone before any of this stuff happens." This pre-tribulation, you know, theory or whatever. And and for me, and this is just for me, when I I listened to the whole book of Revelation the other day, and when I read the the Bible, I don't really see that. Yeah. Well, now you're opening up another can of worms. I certainly do not see a pre-trib rapture. And I, I know for some out there that may be a surprise. I grew up, you know, here in the South in the, in the Bible Belt, very much 
believing in a pre-trib rapture. I could teach it, like I could teach it well. But then I saw the other side and actually began interacting with the text and saw, wait a second, there is, there's very little evidence of this. In fact, you can get to Matthew 24 and Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will, will not give its light and the stars of, of the heavens will not give their light as well. And then the angels will go forth and do, and do the, the actual, what we would call the rapture. So he, he specifically says it's immediately after the tribulation. Now to bring it back to the mark of the beast, I, I think the primary temptation that's going to be there is, hey, if you want to love your life and have convenience, you need to take this mark. And that's not just for like unbelievers. This is a temptation. It actually says in the next chapter, this is the perseverance of the saints that they would basically not take this mark and give their allegiance to somebody else. So yeah. very much so, this is something that we are going to face. But one of the things that helped me the most was to understand the tribulation period, what we call the tribulation period. Mm-hmm. It's not a time when like the earth is exploding and everything's like about to, like volcanoes are ru- like the tribulation period is defined less as the wrath of God that comes at the end, but more as the wrath of what who we call the Antichrist. So we're talking about a time of intense persecution yeah. upon the people of God. And part of that persecution includes his mark. And so when we read stuff like Revelation, which is has a lot of symbolism, we're like, the earth's going to explode and we're going to be here. And it's like, right. no, we're actually seeing symbolic references to intense persecution that, again, if you don't know the Old Testament, you can just be like, I don't get this. This is like cosmic level stuff. Uh-huh. But actually, we're called to persevere through a time when our faith is going to be tested like never before. Yeah. And yeah, on yeah. with on with the mark. Yeah, on with the mark. Great. No, I'm glad you threw that. You threw that at me. <laughs> Got to have the bad guy in here. So yeah. there's no tribula- pre-trib rapture. So yeah, the next place. So we looked at Exodus. The next place we looked at was Deuteronomy. And the following place in the Old Testament that I want to look at before actually getting to Revelation again is Ezekiel 9.4. And basically, to paint the picture, Ezekiel is having a vision of coming destruction, of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And this would be, basically, he's seeing a vision of Nebuchadnezzar is going to come with Babylon to take out Jerusalem. And um, for those who might be familiar with the history. But in the vision, Yahweh tells someone, a man, to mark out the faithful of the city. Mm. In other words... Put a mark on people that are faithful uh-huh. so that they don't undergo death during this thing. They may still be taken into captivity, but they're the faithful ones. And so that's the back backdrop. So now we can read it. This is Ezekiel 9.4. Okay. He's, this is God talking to this man, whoever it is, clothed in lim- linen. Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations which are being committed in its midst. Hmm. So we have another reference to a sign, a good sign, the good kind, being put on the forehead to mark out those who are righteous before God. Mm. So again, I put it in my notes, but in Revelation, John is activating these ideas from the Hebrew Bible when he gives us Revelation 13. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Bible project, but Tim Mackey, who is kind of the scholar over it, he uses a phrase called hyperlinks, which is basically like you click this and it takes you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Well, when the, the Hebrew Bible has hyperlinks all over it where you read this verse and it's supposed to take your mind somewhere else. 
Wow, and John the Apostle is doing this very thing. He's hyperlinking us back to these other texts. So with those in mind, we can now appropriately go to Revelation 14 and kind of understand, or 13, and kind of understand what's going on. So we can, we can jump over there if you're ready. What's going on? All right. So the first thing we want to do is we want to look at the positive. So in Revelation 14, it actually sets us up to understand Revelation 13 a little bit better, even more. So in Revelation 14, we see the lamb actually is on a mountain, and he has his faithful people. And speaking of those faithful ones, he says this. So Revelation 14, 1, this will, this will help us out. Then I looked, and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion, which is a place in Jerusalem. You can actually go there. The Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Okay. So right off, we're being hyperlinked back to all these places in the Old Testament where it's an issue of faithfulness and devotion to the Father, to Yahweh. Okay. So this is... Most definitely a sign of allegiance and a way of saying that this group belongs to Messiah Jesus and to Yahweh. I mean, this is just what's happening in 14. This becomes the counterpart to what we see, though, in the previous chapter. We're finally ready to go to Revelation 13. Okay. So to begin with, let's just kind of look at the overview of the chapter. You read it. It was very helpful. In the first verse, the dragon, Satan, is standing by the sea. So I think that's interesting in... 13, the dragon is by the sea. He's standing there, and we, we get a beast and a mark. In 14, the Messiah is standing on a mountain, and we get a, a mark. But the dragon's by the sea, and from the sea there arises a beast. So verse 1 through 10 shows the rise of this beast, and we realize that it's the biblical figure commonly called the Antichrist. Hmm. So 1 through 10 gives us basically the rise of the Antichrist. Let's just acknowledge that the beast is describing both a national entity, so it's like a governing national entity, and it also bleeds over into as if when it talks about the beast, it's referencing an individual. So you have a, a governing body and an individual, and it's hard to distinguish. Like, is this talking about like a man or a whole kingdom? What's going on? Yeah. So we just at least need to acknowledge that. That's 1 through 10. Then in verses, as you read, 11 through 15, we see the rise of a different beast, one that has two horns, as we talked about earlier, that resemble a lamb but spoke like a dragon. And the first beast came up out of the sea, but the second one, the second one we just looked at, comes up out of the land or out okay. of the earth. Okay. So very, very interesting here. But this second beast is basically a false prophet of the Antichrist. When we had talked about that, mm -hmm. we have people who say that the vaccine is the mark of the beast, and you're saying, oh, really? Well, who is the Antichrist, and who is the false prophet? Yeah, so what I'm getting at, and you're hitting it on the head, is that we see in this chapter a few things that give us almost timing indicators, and I'm not saying like, oh, we know we can use these timing indicators to know when this stuff is going to happen. Not at all, but it tells us when in the biblical history this thing is going to occur. So we have first the rise of this first beast, which we know as the, as the Antichrist, then we have the rise of the second beast, which we know is his false prophet. And it's this second beast, a false prophet for the Antichrist, that will perform miraculous signs. He'll persecute the people of God, and it's the second beast, the false prophet, that actually institutes the mark. Okay. So when someone is out there wondering, well, maybe it's the vaccine, or maybe it's this or that. And look, we can talk about the vaccine in other, like why it's good, bad, or otherwise, right. for other reasons. 
But to say something is the mark of the beast, we need to say a few things. Ask the person, do you know who the Antichrist is? Has that person come on the scene? And there's certain things he's going to do when he comes. Okay, do you know who the false prophet is? Can you tell me who that is? Right. And then you need to say, has that false prophet asked for people's allegiance by saying, hey, take this mark. Take this mark, give your allegiance, again, because the forehead and hand thing is an issue of allegiance. Give your allegiance to the Antichrist by taking this mark, and this prophet is also doing signs and wonders probably in the Middle East. Okay. If you haven't found those things, it's probably not the mark of the beast. It could be something else bad, okay. but it's not this thing of you're going to hell if you accidentally take this thing. And we could read it, Revelation 13, 16, and 17. Mm -hmm. And he, the false prophet, or the second beast, caused all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, which is the antithesis of everything we looked at before. And he provided that no one would be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the mark of the beast or the number of his name. So again, this is the opposite of the mark of allegiance to Jesus. To take this mark is to actively give allegiance to the beast. Yeah, and in Second Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled mm. by spirit or by word or by letter, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed." the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, And Mike, until we see that event, I don't think we're going to be seeing a mark. Yeah. So yeah. people can rest assured in that. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. If somebody wants to learn more about you, where would they go? You have a website or? You know, I, me and a website have had a bad relationship over the years. <laughs> it's always up or down or otherwise. <laughs> You can usually find something about me on YouTube if you type in the phrase Daniel Training Network Bible Overview. You'll find a course we're teaching through the Bible, uh, teach through Torah and a few other historical books. So that's one of the places you can find me. Thanks a lot, Cameron Horner, if not for God. Imagine having peace of mind. In these turbulent times, peace of mind may be the most valuable of all assets. Feeling secure in your financial future is worth its weight in gold and in emotion. Liberty Bankers Insurance Group can help provide you with that most precious life-affirming sense of security. We work hard to create smart and innovative life, health, and financial plans that help ensure your family of not just the stability that you deserve, but the future potential you desire. To create a generational legacy of peace of mind. Liberty Bankers Insurance Group. For life. Not all products available in all states. Visit lbig.com for additional terms and conditions. This is the Truth Network.